0: Coming up in one minute on the Jackin' Around Podcast. Owner of Willie's Joint, best name of a restaurant ever. And and Beaner was like, Man,
1: there's this guy I'm working with at Riverfront Cafe. You've got to meet him. His name's Pat Green. I had no clue what I was doing, and all I could do was watch what you were doing and watch what Robert Earl were doing, which were the two that we were Pat and I both looked up to. You know what I mean?
0: It took off pretty quick.
1: It was a rocket ship.
0: So how, so how long did you manage,
1: Pat? I was his agent for roughly 12 or 15 years, managed for probably half of that. I had built up my agency. At one point, we had about 32 artists mm-hmm. that we represented. I mean, I mean, Enzo and I co-managed Ragweed for several years together. The route he's taken with Parker, I think, is huge. I think what Jeb Hurt's doing with, with Co. is, I mean, it's just, there's just a lot more communication and knowledge. People that you can talk to and look at or. And say, hey man, you know, how would y'all do here? And, yeah, and, and they'll share the information. It's not, and if you've got the well, none artist, of this is rocket science. No, it's not. Like
0: that. How many shows do you do now?
1: Pre-COVID, I was doing about fifteen a year. Now I'm probably this year I'll probably do six or eight shows.
0: This is the Jack and Around Podcast, hosted by two time Academy of Country Music Award winner and master storyteller Jack Ingram. In these open dialogue podcasts, Jack digs into the personal stories of a wide variety of special guests. And now, here's Jack. The Jack and Around Podcast is brought to you by Lone Star Dry Goods, a collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas, and Willow Park, Texas, in Fort Worth. Visit lonestardrygoods.com for more information. Welcome to the Jacking Around Podcast, available on your favorite audio platforms and in video on YouTube. For links and info, visit jackinaroundpodcast.com. It's burned. One girl was
1: pitching, and you were catching, and she was throwing heaters. Cat Osterman. Her. Osterman.
0: She comes to shows. Really? Yeah.
1: She's awesome.
0: Remember, Rick, Ricky Williams was at bat. He took a fucking swing at it. I remember being there going, as soon as she, she pulls, calls me out to, to the mound and goes, hey, I'm bringing the heat. Because it was three and two. And she goes, I'm bringing the heat. I go, okay. And I don't, I don't think she thought I was going to catch. I think she was trying to tell me to get the fuck out of the way. Just get out of the way. But I was like, "All right, here we go." Hell no. <clears throat> it was funny, man. That ball goes. It's coming, but it, it's so big that it goes uh, like a knuckleball. Yeah, man, it was crazy. Hey, are these are these on? Yes. Hey, did you, did you fix them? Yeah, I fixed what? These things. No, they're fine. It's- What are you doing? It doesn't, matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, my God.
1: Man. Fridays.
0: Jesus Christ. Are you fucking kidding me? you imagine him on stage, like the lead singer on stage? And that was Greg Henry on the Jackin' Around podcast. All right, Greg Henry. Good to see you, Bud. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Owner of Willie's Joint. Yes, sir. Best name of a restaurant ever. Bar. They'll serve food there. We do. Pretty good food, right? Real good.
1: Burgers. Best burger in town.
0: There's another Willie's.
1: There's a Willie's. There's a couple of Willie's like New Braunfels area. It's called Willie's Garage or something.
0: There's one over off of uh, 71. Yep. Going towards Marble Falls. How long y'all had a Willie's Joint?
1: We just celebrated our eighth year anniversary on July fourth. Was that you? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Didn't I used to play some of those? Oh yeah. The uh, anniversaries.
1: You've done. You and Gaddis, I think, did two or wait or two or three of them.
0: Me and Gaddis.
1: Yep. And it's always rained. So this year it rained and we had shiny ribs set up and it rained so we had to cancel. You're kidding. <laughs> no.
0: They didn't go inside. No.
1: They just showed up and they're like, "We'll just we're going to we're not even charge you uh, for canceling. We'll just reschedule and we'll come back." So they're they're being really cool about it and trying to get them back later in August, I think.
0: Is that going to continue? No. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I met you back. Let's go, let's start from the beginning. Mm. You were seventeen in Hillsboro, Texas.
1: China Spring, Texas. But I was in Hillsboro. So you were in Hillsboro, yeah.
0: For uh, Delane yep. Crows yep. graduation party. Somebody just sent me a picture of that the other day. Oh wow! In the backyard. It's crazy, and. uh I know we've t- we've talked about this story a thousand times, but never officially, you know, for, for the podcast. But like, I do remember getting a letter from you. <laughs> I can talk about how how badly it, it was. The grammar was left much to be desired. But I never
1: really liked school. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I remember it being just so heartfelt, and basically, I was, I was, I'm still in awe today. Matt Peavito, everybody. <laughs> I'm just, I still remember that it said what you wanted to do with your life. And it's exactly what you did. I mean, how did you, how did you fuck? I mean, you were just a dumb kid. I was. I, 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 I was thinking
1: about that on the way here. I was like, man, my, my mom and dad, it's not like they were in a band. You know, they weren't, I didn't grow up in the music business, I didn't know, I think I went to maybe one concert when I was growing up in 87, I'll never forget it, it was Van Halen with David Lee Roth, because my brother wanted to go at Reunion Arena, so my parents wouldn't let him go by himself, and we went, so that's like the really the only, con- I didn't grow up in a background of music, um, and then ended up listening, started out with Gary P. Nunn, my parents, uh, their family friends were listening to Gary P., Started listening to him, and then Robert O'Keefe, and then you, and I was like, man, those are the three. I was like, I didn't even know anything about Willie at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't I really never went to Austin, lived in Waco, Texas, kind of just pigeonholed there. Went to Dallas for baseball games or football games here and there once mm-hmm. in a while, but not, never south. So didn't see a lot of the music that was down in Austin. I wish I would have saw like Stevie Ray and all that, but right. Um, so did that, and the way I just got into it, I was like, man this is what I want to, you know, I want to follow some music. So Jeff Griffin and I started following you around and Robert Earl Keene around and Gary Penan, and just fell in love with it. And and Beener was like, man, you like this sound. There's this guy I'm working with at riverfront cafe. You've got to meet him. His name's Pat green. Mm-hmm. And they were bartending. And so he gives me a dance hall dreamer CD. I take a listen. It's like, man, this is exactly what I like. I love this guy. And at the time, of course, dance hall dreamer sounds just like Robert Earl. That was one of, Pat's influences along with you. Yeah. And uh, so we, we started hanging out. So come up to the bar for free drinks. So we went up there for free drinks, started hanging out, um, left there after his bartending gig, went over to a bar in Waco, Texas called Chapter 11. So oh, hold on. So
0: Pat Pat had a bartending gig?
1: Yep. He graduated from tech, was back home working for his dad part time and then bartending at Riverfront Cafe. That's hilarious. Yep. And just playing acoustic in Lubbock every chance he could get. <laughs>
0: I love the thought of him being behind the bar. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. serving them up. So One, two fingers for you, three fingers for yeah. me.
1: <laughs> Maybe another three for me. <laughs> yeah man.
0: So was he? He was gigging. Was he gigging in Waco too? Not really. He he,
1: literally was going back to Tech or to Lubbock every chance he could get to play to his twenty friends, little following friends that he had um, at any beer garden or you know corner restaurant that he could he could go play because they knew he was and he could get 20 30 people out and yeah go play acoustic and make 150 bucks 20 or 30 people yeah maybe spend 300 to get there but make 150 on it. Yeah. yeah so so yeah we we ended up going to chapter 11 and we're sitting there and every all, Jeff Griffin and Pat Green and myself were sitting there talking and I'm in college. I don't know anything. I'm Where are we going to college? MCC community college. I was going to go there for two or three years and then go to Baylor for two or three years, however long it took me. Right. I'm probably going to be on the six, seven year plan. Right. <laughs> I didn't like school, but, uh, so we did that and we're sitting there and Pat was like, I really want to get my name out. I want to be a musician for the rest of my life. That's what I'm gonna do for a living. And I was like, okay. And I had a couple of side jobs. I've always hustled from high school on t- to date. Um, and had a thousand dollar Wells Fargo credit card in my pocket that I'd never charged anything on, just had it. They sent it to me, and I was in college, and signed off on it, and kept it. And uh, we're in we're in the bar, and the guy this guy walks by, and he's wearing a Jack Ingram beat up Ford shirt. And Pat was like, like that, like that guy just at the time. This dates me, but you know that shirt was probably twelve or fifteen bucks. Now they're twenty five dollars. Yeah. But he was like, for twelve bucks, that guy bought that shirt from Jack supported jack and he's a walking billboard for jack that's what i need and i was like i got a wells fargo credit card let's go print some shirts man (laughs) so we went and printed as many shirts as we could for a thousand bucks and um every time he went to every weekend he would work during the week every weekend he'd go to tech and he'd go play acoustic to his friends and come back so i was like all right man you know i couldn't go with him um, didn't even think about going with him because I knew nothing about the music business. So bundled him up, 20 shirts, medium, small, large. He would head to Lubbock. He would come back, and I'd be like, "Man, how'd it go?" He's like, "Oh, dude, it was great. Everybody, you know, had a great time. Uh, I'm out of shirts. It was awesome." Blah blah. I was like, "Cool, let's settle up. Like, I want to get this credit card paid off. Let's get the money settled up." He's like, "Oh, man, all my friends just wanted ones, and I just I couldn't charge them. I just they wanted one, and I gave it to them." I was like, okay, cool. So, no big deal, man. We'll put that down as a comp and we'll just, we'll get him on the next round. All right. So, he goes next week, goes up, same story over and over, like three or four times. And finally, I was pissed. I was like, I have zero shirts, I have $1,000 debt, <laughs> bills coming in. <laughs> I'm going on the road with you, and I will be the asshole that says, you cannot have these shirts for free. Like, we don't own these shirts. You right. have to pay for them. So, that's how I got in the music business. Started go, jumping in the um, Suburban with him, toting a little rolling case from Walmart with me and had stickers on it like a road case because I wanted it to look like a road case, but it wasn't. Right. And uh, that's how I started. And then uh, we were in Stephenville at City Limits. So on,
0: you on, did you go to Jeff Griffin, a.k.a. Beaner? Did, were you in high school with him? we hmm up a- in China Springs? or Where is that? China Springs is 15 miles northwest of Waco. So it's Hillsboro.
1: It's close. It's probably 15, 20 minutes from Hillsboro. All right. We're super close. Um, we didn't play them in, in, in sports or anything, but they were close. Um, but, yeah, Jeff Griffin and I have been friends since sixth grade. Wow. I always say third grade. Just be like Robert Earl, but, yeah, the truth is it's <laughs> sixth grade. Who is this
0: third grade? Uh, guy? Uh, the, fiddle the fiddle player, player right? Yeah, Get his name right now.
1: Best friend since third grade. Yeah. Duckworth.
0: <laughs> Duckworth, yes. Brian Duckworth, yeah.
1: So, but yeah, we've been friends since six... Wow, m-
0: something useful. Yeah. What do you, what do you keep... <laughs> when I say you should be a character in the podcast, I didn't mean like full fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I meant like every now and again, like a voice from the side. Oh, uh, Lord. So you're hanging out with Beaner. Did he did he have dreams to be in this business forever too? Nope. Neither one of us grew up um,
1: having a dream to be in the music business. We just we literally lucked into it by him working at Riverfront with Pat, uh, me jumping on as just a, a, a toting around merch guy, um, starting out that way, and it, it's crazy.
0: But I, so. Literally, he barely had gigs when you started working with him. Barely, yeah. Every weekend. And was Lubbock. Griffin's, was Was Beener going with y'all?
1: Nope. Beener wasn't in the picture for several years. It was like me on the road. Um, then I started, we went to city limits. Stephenville. Stephenville, Texas. What's the guy's owner's name? V.W. Stevens. Charge you for fucking beers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a water is $3 or... But yeah, so we we did that gig, and I'm selling merch,
0: stage left, and well, Stephen, hold on, City Limits is thousand people.
1: Yeah, and it was weird because like you weren't at the end of the building facing it long ways; you were facing sideways. Long building, yes.
0: Stage right here, yep.
1: So not a bad seat in the place, to be honest. I mean, it's kind not of not a good shooting. one either. Yeah, no, true. <laughs>
0: that was a strange gig. It was. It was. But I it remember. Was, I remember him we probably talked about it coming up after the kind of like in the blues brothers. Like you owe us $347. Like (laughs) what the fuck? (laughs) We all drank this much beer. I'm like, we get into this for free beer. Yes. That's the fucking point. We we, we don't pay for beer. Yeah, It's our pay plus booze. (laughs) (laughs) So hold on. But he only had 20 people in Lubbock, but he, but he shows up to see like, did it start taking off? This
1: was a while later. You know, it was probably a, at least a a year later, after I started, I would go to Lubbock with him every weekend. At that point, because that was the only gig that he had, so we would play once or maybe twice that weekend. Um, I can't remember the beer garden. It was right by Stubbs, but there was a beer garden. I know you are talking about. I don't remember the name. That's of That's where
0: I played the first first time I had tickets. Yeah.
1: So that's where we would go, and we would
0: if we it ended was, up, It was just called the beer garden. It was it yeah. was by the uh, the where, the where the warehouse. Would the they street? call that? Yep. That place where we played, eventually, across the street. It was the place you wanted to go play. I don't remember the name of that. it. 11th Street Warehouse. Warehouse or... yeah. Yeah.
1: And then he eventually would get like a trio or a full band. We'd still have to go to... I mean, for a long time, we went to Lubbock back and forth. That's it. And then Michael <laughs> that's Terabay... That's a seven-hour drive from... Oh, yeah. And it was even worse because Michael Terabay was in the band, and Michael... You could have stopped there. Would not. <laughs> 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 he would not drive down to Waco from Dallas. So we had he made us go from Waco to Dallas, Dallas to Lubbock. And he was married to Natalie Maines. And when every time we'd go up there and grab him, we would just keep going. But on the way back, we're exhausted. So we would sleep on the floor um, of Michael and Natalie's apartment, which I'm sure she hated because it was like a one-bedroom apartment. Here's dumbass Pat and I, mm-hmm. you know, just sleeping on the floor in the way. But we did that for a good year, solid year, just back and forth to Lubbock. It was crazy. And was he selling
0: T-shirts? Oh, yeah.
1: We started selling. It's when I created the mailing list, back when you, you used to have to mail everything with, you know, mailing you a letter or mailing a yeah, tour, tour card out or whatever you want to call it. That's
0: exact. you know what's funny, man, is that that's – I didn't realize just how uh, – strict y'all were sticking to the playbook that i'd had done
1: oh yeah no we we
0: i both and and i was copying jackal pierce we all copied everybody because i had no clue what i was doing
1: and all i could do all i could do was watch what you were doing and watch what robert earl were doing which were the two that we were pat and i both looked up to you know what i mean so i was like oh well they're playing at this place i'm gonna call this place and see if i can get them in there Um, I'm going to call this place. And then we just kind of started making that circle, but making it bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger and trying to open for you and trying to open for Robert and, um, several, you know, Jacko Pierce. I mean, those are other guys that we loved. Um,
0: but it, it took off pretty quick.
1: It was a rocket ship. It, it was a blur. I mean, there's people to date still come up to me and be you remember this? And I'm like, no. And they start telling me, I'm like, okay, I remember that. I mean, it was a blur. It was a quick blur.
0: I was always jealous because you guys seem to be such good friends. Yeah. And, I, you know, I didn't really have, like I wanted, I tried to get my buddy to come out on the road with me early on. And it, it was too, he wasn't dumb enough. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he had he'd gone to A&M. He already had a, a good paying job. He wasn't, Flying by the seat of his pants, and so he couldn't do it. But
1: I know who you're talking about. He's su- he's super smart. He 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 was too smart to go on the road for sure.
0: Yeah, he had to yeah. he had to get he had to go oh, he, go get serious. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know,
1: run around, have some drinks, and have a good time. That's
0: and you 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 very successful in that. Accomplished that for sure. So hold on. So how did how did you get how did you steer that ship from literally putting gas in the tank to blowing up? So that's, that's in 97. six, seven, ninety 97?
1: 97 is when I, ish, is early 97 is when I officially think I started with Pat, <laughs> as far as I can remember. Looking back at, at
0: were you just getting commission?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, he was very fair. He has always been very fair and um, kind of followed what other, you know, he had, dealt with other agents and stuff and kind of was like, Hey man, if you do this and it'll be this percentage or that mm-hmm. percentage on merch or this percentage on booking, you know, it was all kind of different. But, um, in Stevenville, that's where I was selling merch and it was like, I'm standing there and selling merch and this is kind of early on. And at the end of the gig, we opened for the great divide and we were back there taking pictures of The great divide. And then I ran back out and started selling divide. merch. Oh, they killing it. And I'm selling merch and this frat guy walks up and says, Hey man, uh, I want to get this merch blah blah blah. and how much is it to book Pat? And I was like, uh, book Pat. And he's like, yeah, book him. And I was like, let me ask Pat real quick. Hang on two seconds. I didn't know. I thought he wanted a booker. I didn't know what he wanted. I had no clue what book Pat meant. So i go back and <laughs> I'm didn't... like, no, I'm like, Hey Pat, this guy,
0: he wants to book he, you. He,
1: you have a book. <laughs> you wrote a book or something. No, but I was like, hey, he wants to book you. What, what's he's like, Oh man, just tell him 500 bucks and uh, I'll give you uh Ten or twenty percent commission. It was it was something good. It's like twenty percent. He's like, "Dump five hundred bucks and twenty percent." I'm like, "Shit, a hundred dollars? Hell yeah!" I waddle my ass back out there, and thanks to my dad being an entrepreneur, I went out and I said, "Man, Pat said he could do it. It'd be about fifteen hundred bucks." That goes, "Oh shit, I'll sign
0: the contract right now." I was
1: like, "Perfect." So I don't know how we so worked Pat it out. Pat told
0: you five. So you had the, like, everybody has a problem with numbers. Like, normally, if you want to say five, it comes out. 50. Yeah. (laughs) But you had the opposite problem. Oh, yeah. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. So you you immediately knew like, oh, if Pat will do it for 500 when I know he'll do it for free. Yep. I'll go out there and fucking take advantage of this frat boy. Yep.
1: 1,500 bucks in my head. That's 300 bucks. I'm in. I'm a college (laughs) kid, (laughs) broke, on the road, selling merch. And then from there, it just was like crazy. It was like, boom. I mean, I was going through the Texas governor's book at the time. They had a list of all the festivals, um, in the back from A to Z. I sent a promo pack, which was a picture of dancehall dreamer CD, a a bio and a folder to, I mean, I didn't care if it was Tejano blues, rap country festival. I didn't care what festival it was. Every one of them. I sent out 500 of these things or a thousand, however many it was.
0: And how many did you get back?
1: One. (laughs) One, and it was a big one. Uh, The guy calls from Bedford Blues Fest. Yeah. Um, And and thank God I sent it to the Blues Festival because if I would have just stuck to country, I wouldn't have sent it. But anyways, guy calls and says, hey, I've got the Dixie Chicks uh, headlining this deal, and we've heard about Pat through your your packet you sent. And uh, Marty and the Dixie Chicks mentioned Pat. And Marty and I used to talk probably every other week because they would be on the road. She's like, hey, I gave this owner a CD for Pat. She loved Pat and was just trying to help us out as much That's as possible. Sweet. It was really cool. So um, the guy calls and he's like, so is Pat available on this date, this date, and this date? And this point, I'd moved kind of from mani- merchandising, still doing that, but also booking um, and taking calls from the website. We built a website when websites first came out. Um,
0: Did you have a dedicated phone line or just your phone at the house? I
1: Think it was the phone at the house because my mom years later after I moved out was still getting calls from the posters that Lone Star Beer gave us or whatever with the phone number on it so um, the guy goes well you know we'd like for Pat to open up and um, what are you thinking I said I don't know what do you have in budget he said man we have a, we have like six in budget and I was like okay so we talked for about 20 minutes at the very end I was like can I just recap on this you know it's this date, this is the spot and how much was the money he's like 6,000 and I was like oh shit I thought he meant 600 I was like wow I said um okay well this looks pretty good you know I probably need to talk it over with Pat and just see if it's gonna work or not like just trying to play as cool as I can I'm over there just fist pumping while I'm talking (laughs) so I called Pat and I'm like yeah I'm like we're rich but I was like Pat I already know the answer but holy moly we just got this offer he's like confirm why would you even tell him you're calling back what if he doesn't answer? And I was like, man, he'll answer. So that was our, the first big one. And I was like, okay, this is something I can get fired up about every morning. So the merch, the booking, and then eventually I was on the road with him. And then it got so busy with the merch and the booking. That's when Jeff Griffin fell in play and went on the road with him, was handling the merch, was handling, uh, was he tour, in college too? Tour management? No, no, he was just working in Waco. Actually, no, he was at MCC. Yes. He went to MCC a little bit shorter stint than I did. I think I went for like two years. He went for like a year, year and a half. Right. Um, neither one of us liked school. We didn't like school. We were in high school. It just it wasn't our thing. Right. Um, it's how my kids are, too. I have two daughters. One of them could care less about school, and the other one is all about it. But So, Jeff Griffin, Beaner, came on board, and he started taking over the road stuff with Pat, merchandise. I was at home, had a home office in my parents' house, uh, doing the bookings um which led to management so it was like booking and management so on and so forth and it just it was just like, was it all frat stuff or was it it started out as frat stuff and then a few openers here and there for like you guys you and robert mainly was my we were just watching and going okay here's what they're doing they're mailing these out and i'm getting this card and we're you know whatever we could do mailing lists and everything mm-hmm. um even looking at merch and okay how, how are they doing it and not copying it, but going, okay, we need, they got three shirts. We need three shirts. They got two hats. We need, you know. Right. Um,
0: And then it just, I I don't know. I wonder if I could get some commission off of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Retro, retroactive.
1: (laughs) Checks in the mail.
0: (laughs) Pat's always been very generous. Yes, very. I mean, when he, when he took off, when y'all took off, that was the first of many times that you know that the guy who opened for me i would end up opening for and every time i did it's like it's like he felt bad he'd yeah. come up and we'd sell something out he'd sell it out and he'd come up after the show and give me a big old wad of cash yeah he, he was always that way
1: he did that a lot with a lot of people i mean not just him i mean he very generous and thankful for people around him and um, you know then he moved on to to different avenues as far as music in Nashville and people were like oh blah 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 and I'm just like I'll sit here and defend the guy till I die. I mean it's like no man like this, this is a good guy. He's not yeah. you know. He's a really good guy. He he was he was directed in a, you know at that point with another manager and maybe a certain direction he shouldn't have went but we were young and and and
0: you well, know, you well, you didn't, that's the thing, man. You didn't know the direction you were going in the first place. So to change direction is no big deal. Yeah. Cause like we didn't, it's that Willie thing. Like I, I didn't come here and I ain't leaving. Yep. Like, like, <laughs> man, what direction would you go? I don't know. The wind blew us this way this time. It worked out pretty well. It's blowing this way this time. Yeah. We'll just keep going. So how, so how long did you manage Pat?
1: I booked, I was his agent for roughly 12 or 15 years managed for probably half of that the first kind half of, yeah
0: mm-hmm. and then jimmy
1: jimmy perkins went took that over
0: jimmy jailbird
1: and uh, so he was manager i stayed the agent for years mm-hmm. after that um and then it got to a point where i was told that someone like william morris could do a better job than what i could do only not because i'm a bad person but because of the connections And, of course, I'm pissed, and I'm like, this is bullshit. I'm getting screwed, and, you know, whatever. I was there from day one, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't about the money because Pat was like, here, I'll take it, you know, whatever. But it was about being involved. And I was like, give me an example of how William Morris can do a better job than me. And they're like, okay, well, do you have a Houston rodeo offer for Pat? And I said, yeah. They're like, how much is it? And I was like, $60,000, for example, whatever. They're like, oh, and that was a big offer for me. I mean, as an agent, I'd never really gone above 25, 30 grand. Right. And they're like, well, here's what the Houston Rodeo does they take their agency with all their clients, and the Houston Rodeo says, here, here's X million dollars, chop it up how you want amongst your artists with what's fair. And they had a $125,000 offer for Pat at the Houston Rodeo. Although he wasn't even a client, they knew that they could give him that money and at that point I was like though the talent I'm, done. I'm i'm cool as long as Pat is going to be taken care of more than the way I'm taking care of him that's all I care about because he's my boy we're friends we're business but partners. that was your job
0: at the time mm-hmm. and you didn't have any other clients nope so that it wasn't just no at but- that
1: time I did have clients at that time I had built up my agency at first it was just Pat. And then as the years went by, probably eight years, six years into it, that's when I picked up out of Waco, like I was booking Roger Crager. I mean, pretty much a lot of them came through Austin Universal Entertainment, which was AUE. At one point, we had about 32 artists Mm -hmm. that we represented, three or four agents in there, a couple administrative um, people as well. So, But at that time, so yeah, I wasn't dead in the water. Um, and And then Pat was like, here's a... Huge bonus, and you're going to stay on board as our in-house promoter. So I did about six shows a year where Glenn Smith and I would partner up, and I'd be like Pat's in-house promoter.
0: Was that for the Starplex and mm-hmm. and the Houston one?
1: Not Houston, but um, we did we did some stuff in like Beaumont, the Ford Amphitheater, you know, the, those sheds. Mm-hmm. But um, – it wasn't a lot, and it lasted about a year. Because Glenn and Jimmy were good friends, so that's where that Glenn got put in the mix. And I loved it because every day I still learn about this business, um, and, and I learned a lot from Glenn Smith. You know, Glenn's a good dude. He's a reputable guy, and it taught me a lot of things on, as a, from a promoter standpoint, which is, out of everything I've done, which is almost everything in this business, I've owned a bus, I've <laughs> done it, done it all. I love the shows. I love producing shows and being a promoter. Why? I think because I'm a, a hell of a multitasker um, and it takes someone with a lot of organization and um, patience to, to be able to put everything A to Z together, whether it's a porta potty or a generator or the stage or the artist or the green room or you know whatever it may be, tickets, all of that. How
0: many shows do you do now?
1: Pre-COVID, I was doing about 15 a year. Now I'm probably, this year I'll probably do six or eight shows
0: with different artists or
1: nobody exclusive just any anything that
0: works out that's what i mean though like yeah do, do, are they mostly multi bill, multi-act mm-hmm. bills yeah and do you kind of stick around the same wheelhouse of, of talent i do because that's what i know i mm-hmm. mean people
1: have said hey can you book rock and i'm like i'm just i i wouldn't know I know. I know. I, I feel like I kind of know what the market value is in certain cities for different artists, and I feel like whether I go do a show on my own in College Station or Waco, I know what I should be paying them. Um, or if I get hired by somebody to go and produce it for them, I know what I should be buying the talent for. Um,
0: that, we y'all working with um, dude from Corpus, Mark Schaeberg? Yeah, we we all done a bunch of stuff Schaeberg at the time. When, when you so, first driver with so Pat Sh- so so Sheaberg I forgot about that part
1: um, Sheaberg on Popular Talent in Austin I went to work with him 50% of the time at Popular Talent and work on the frat um, parties uh, with Gentry Spalling I don't know if you remember him and then I also was booking Pat at the same time so I went to his office and kind of double dipped on trying to do Pat's career and Survive with popular talent at the same time. Wow! But if you look at the old dancehall record, Mark Schaeberg's popular talent number is on dancehall Dreamer, which I had to change once I started doing it. But there's still some records out there somewhere with, with his info on it.
0: Um, he was, he was, he was the one that taught me about all this stuff. Yeah, because I remember he had me play a burgers and beer party for the Sigma Chi's at UT. Mm-hmm. He was. He and
1: John Dixon were super tied into all of that. I mean, he taught me
0: about supply and demand because because yeah. he gave me seventy five bucks the first time. <laughs> Did I tell you this before? No. He gave me seventy five bucks. They set me up on the other side of the pool, where like so, Mike's Mike's right here. Here's the pool, and f- drunk frat boys would come and like stumble past in between me and the pool. The whole party's going on over here. And they'd come and <laughs> knock into the mic and chip, chip in my, in your tooth. Chip, <laughs> I still got a couple chips in my front tooth. And I was like, fuck this. Yeah. Because they weren't, they were having a ball, but nobody gave a shit about the music. I was like, so, and after I was done, they go, that was fucking awesome. That's yeah. the best. So I go, all right, cool. And Shabert called the next week and goes, Hey man, they really love it. They want to have you again. Uh I go, okay, cool. 150. Yeah. Pumped it up twice. $300. <laughs> yeah. 6 I just kept doubling it until it got to be a substantial amount. And then I was like, all right, $2,400 is enough. Yeah.
1: Which they would have paid that first time if we would have just known. <laughs> That's what I, yeah. Who knew? Yeah.
0: Maybe they were paying Sheaberg that. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny because I just remember thinking, well, if I'm going to be your pimp, I'm going to get paid for it. Yeah. I remember that after the second or third one, they go, "Man, every time you we play, we've never had this many hot chicks at our house." I was like, "Oh, oh, <laughs> so good, good to, man, good you to got know, it. got it, <laughs> good <laughs> to know." We'll take care of that. <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you, so you were with popular talent for a while. Yep. Working day to day with Sheberg and Dixon,
1: Sheberg and um, Gentry. Dixon wasn't in that office; he had his own. So they were kind of separate. But um, Mark had an office right down there on campus
0: on the. Drive what was their somewhere. little magazine they used? to?
1: A Dirty's hamburger. he was right by dirty. I remember that. Yeah. And he had a place called Mangoes Across the Street or something.
0: Mangoes Across the Street. It used yeah. to be um it was the original Antones. Yep. Remember we'd play in that that stage, and there was a huge pillar like just right oh, in yeah. the middle of the stage. And I, was, I was like, what is this, yep. man? I
1: remember just sitting there watching you or whoever would be playing there, and it was a restaurant too. <laughs> And I mean, a big old fat rat would run across the rafter, across the top of the stage. And I'm just like, oh <laughs> Lord, this place. But yeah, those are, those are good times. Did we,
0: Pivito, were you working with those same artists at the same time? I had Corey, Greg, and Pat. And we had relatively competing agencies for a while. We'd switch artists,
1: flip artists. And- what Matt's not telling you is that I had an agency years before Matt did and for 12 months Matt would call me every day and say hey man you know like so what are these contracts and how do you, how do, you do this and that and we would talk and we're, we're we were buds and we're still buds but um and then with it within about a year after that those conversations like oh he's starting his own agency <laughs> oh so you know how it feels yeah <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> I remember seeing Pat going this looks awfully like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just so,
1: yeah, I was just like, Oh, okay. But Matt had some great artists on, on his agency for sure. And we ran through a lot of them. I mean, I know we, at one point turned down Randy, uh, to pick him up, um, turn down Los Lonely Boys, which the, the demo is like Willie's camp sent us this demo like Pootie or somebody. Mm-hmm. He was like Hey, you know, you gotta listen. These guys are awesome. But the demo of Los Lonely Boys was not the Los Lonely Boys that became famous. It was this very blues, different demo. But it was kind of like, you just had to, I guess, hear it and see it. Yeah. Just like the chicks. Like, the chicks weren't what became famous with the chicks. It was super country. They were dressed up in Western dresses and early in the day. I don't know if you ever saw that or heard that. Dudes,
0: but. thank heavens for day elevens. Yeah. So my first gig in this business, I was at school and didn't didn't know what to do. And so... um crystal clear Jack o pierce made records at their studio yep. and they did the production of their cds and um so i didn't even have have a gig i was just like i want to be in the music business i didn't really even know i wanted to be an artist necessarily um, and i got an internship at crystal clear recording studio did mm-hmm. you know clean up ashtrays picking up drinks <laughs> You know, seeing cool rock stars walk right. in and out. Um, and the, the Dixie Chicks made that record, and they had 10,000 of them. They had the CDs in one pile, the plastic cases in another pile. Oh, uh, yeah. And the artwork, and I, I would sit there and put them all together in a closet. Yep. 10 I hated that hour. fucking record. <laughs> For free. I think Just, that's damn. a... Damn. <laughs> it was a lot, but... Just like you, just like everybody else. Okay. Every day I went in there, I would see how bands act in the studio. I would see some bands that look like they have their shit together, some bands that don't, some bands that are great, some bands that have their shit together but they suck. But because they have their shit together, they they were in there, right? Yeah, you, know, you just kind of learn how how that business kind of
1: works. Yeah. Oh, and if we if we if we all knew, or if we we knew what we know now, if we would have known that then. Like, You've like,
0: into
1: it. I, I would have, I would, I would have, be a multi millionaire because I would have done things. You know, you know more, more about your, the career and what you're doing. And, I mean, you, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm you saying,
0: uh,
1: I mean, from a perspective of, the art, the, the artists that you pick up and being able to get them in front of, like knowing the ropes of, okay. We've got to get them in and open. We've got to do things. I mean, social media has changed a ton, too. We didn't have social media back then. But I just think – I'm not saying it's easy. I just think it's easier. I mean, you look at, like, Howie with Cody and, and, and um, you know, like, Parker and Co. And, I mean, not saying they haven't earned it because they certainly have. Yeah. But there's a lot of groundwork that's been done by, you know, Willie's generation to – you know robert and you guys to pat to to randy pat and randy and then you've got co I, I don't know just looking at it i'm like man i wish i had the knowledge that i have now if i would have had it back then right because i think it would you been,
0: would you have thought bigger
1: i think i would have thought bigger and there would have been probably better you know different decisions made with with certain artists you know like no we're just I mean, what, what, in my opinion, what Howie is doing with Cody Johnson is what should have been done with Pat. Just stick. What's he doing? To with? It. He's, he's doing it how he wants to do it, but he's growing every day. And Pat was growing, but then some decisions were made and they made the change and it just kind of pissed some of the fans off that were there, for, you know, that cult following. I mean, that's how a lot of you guys – have made it and are making it is that cult following yeah. that, that was created. And it was like, Oh, I'm bigger than that. Well, no, you just, and, and Cody, I, f- I feel like Cody's done a good job on, on. Well, do
0: you think Cody has, has more, has, has a better identity self? You know, he knows who he is maybe a little more than,
1: I just think there's more knowledge. I, I think, I think what has happened in the past with certain artists and how they, they they track down the road and it's like, Oh, I'm just. I'm gonna do it like this, and I mean, even to the point where these guys are going and doing these festivals. I mean, we were playing for fifteen dollars at a at a festival. They're playing for forty, fifty dollars, but they're also they're going in and they're they're taking part of the concessions and part of the ticket fees and part of the you know everything's on the table for a lot of some of those big guys. Mm-hmm. You know, well, we didn't know that. I we went, just happy to have a gig.
0: Well, how could you have known it? No, that's, that's the thing. Th- yeah, so that that's the truth. Yeah, because I re- I remember when I would talk to Pat and to, to a lesser extent, Corey, but it's like everything, get, everything got a little, like Pat would, Pat would talk to me in terms of that. He thought I was selling out all these places and, and huge. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I'm always like, man, that bar that you saw me in only, only held 240 people, dude. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, it's like the balloon just got, got, got bigger and bigger. And so when Cody and, Parker and those guys came. It, 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 we 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 made it from a sw- you know little kiddie pool outside in the front yard to a full on swimming pool. And now yeah. it's a now it's a lot bigger.
1: Lake. I mean, I mean Enzo and I co-managed Ragweed for several years together, and what he's he's done with Parker is is the route he's taken with Parker. I think is huge. I think what Jeb hurts doing with with Co is. I mean, it's just there's just a lot more communication and knowledge. And people that you can talk to and look at, or and say, "Hey, man, you know, how'd y'all do here?" And, yeah, and, and they'll share the information. It's not. And if you've got the well, none artist, of this is rocket science. No, it's not. It's not. And
0: you can't buy. That's all things. You you can dream big, but you can't buy your way into it. No. I mean, the people have to come, pay those tickets, and if they don't,
1: and but, you never know what's going to hit. It it, it it could be. You could look at someone and go, "That's never going to work," and it works. I mean, it's just—it's a—it's a, it's a crapshoot.
0: I got to watch a couple rockets take off. I got to watch Pat take off. i remember talking about you're getting just just swallowed up on the highway by him. Just yep. boom, move over, Ingram. I stole your T-shirt idea. Now I'm taking the <laughs> whole country. <laughs> but then I also got to be there for the, for that first summer of Taylor Swift, right? Which was. Huge. Multiples. Yes. I mean, Pat's was big in Texas, and it, it was big in, in the country, but to, to watch the second coming of Elvis was pretty fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I, I understood what it was because I had already seen it. It was like, oh. It had helped me stick to my own musical guns, too. Right. Having known that I was this way when I started... Got passed up by a guy that I still don't know how or why. You know, you're never going to. Right. And then, oh, here comes Taylor. I had a record out before her on the same label, and all of a sudden she's taken off like pancakes at a breakfast. And and I was like, oh, (laughs) that doesn't really reflect on me. Right. It's not my problem. It's it's an uncontrollable thing. Right. I'll just sign my little autographs and go about my business. Yeah. So when did you decide to... Let go of AUE. Or did I you? I
1: sold that uh, to a guy. I don't remember the year. I should, but I don't. But that was when I fell in love with p- being a promoter. Once I worked with Glenn Smith a little bit and promoting those shows, I'd done Margarita Salsa Festival. You know, it's on its 25th year, whatever. But I fell in love with that. And I met Tim O'Connor at the backyard and i was like that's right i want to come work with you and and do produce shows at the backyard and book shows in the backyard And he's like come on i need the help he was in some 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 trouble financially um i sold the book and he has kind of burnt out of it because oh i know why i i was burnt out of it because i would work an artist from 500 dollars a gig to whatever and they would make two hundred thousand dollars that year in gross touring but I would work them from making 200 grand a year to $2 million a year. And then Nashville comes swoop them up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, this is an ass kick. It's like, and I don't, I I didn't fault them. I, I understood why they were going to those bigger agencies. Um, at the time nowadays I don't think it's a smart move, but anyways, at the time I think it was a smart move. Um, but then they started getting to half a million dollars and seeing me develop them like a blue Edmondson, for example, and here comes CAA wanting them at five hundred grand in touring. I'm like, "Fuck! I haven't even made any money yet. I mean, I made fifty grand off the guy in a year, but I've got two assistants over here, and I've got this over here, and a rent on a building, and it's like, and you're already swooping them up. Let me at least get to two or three million dollars." What in made touring. it? What
0: made it so that you couldn't take that next step and and probably
1: take a family, to- like my kids. I had kids. Um, I think I possibly. I, not possibly. I know I could. when Pat moved to a major agency, that was another respectful thing he did, we went to three major agencies. And all three, he he and I flew out together, as me, him, and Jimmy. He took his agent, current agent, to every possible agent that he was going to sign with to every meeting. And one of the three majors was like, we'll hire you on the spot. You just have to move here. And I was like, I, I'm Can't not leaving, know. I'm not moving. My kids are in school, I'm not, you know. So that was my decision. Um, but I that probably would have helped, I could have done that and started my own or I could have just done that and been a huge agent or whatever. Right. Because um, I felt like I was good at what I was doing. So I think I would have been successful at a major agency. But I just decided no. And, and I, I, I think I, I didn't love it. I did it because I had to for bat. Right. And then I did love it while I did it. But when it got to the end, I was like, eh. So I went to the backyard and sold that agency. That guy ran it to the ground 12 months later. Um, I called him every week saying, hey, man, can I help you? Like, And he just knew it all and just didn't want any help. And it just diving into the right. ground, um, unfortunately.
0: How was your stand at the backyard?
1: It was awesome. It was? Yeah. It was really good. So, so, so Tim was in financial trouble, um, and he brought me on. Guarantee me the salary we get three months into it he can't pay me and or you pay me like half of it or something he's like but I got an idea he always had an idea and I think he's a pretty genius guy there's some things I would not do <laughs> that he would do but there's a lot of things that he taught me that I'm like man I learned from him like I did Glenn Smith the positive things um, but he and I started talking and he was like, man, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to keep you on. And I was like, well, just let me know. So he's like, I owe this much money in ta- back taxes. I need to get the beer license out of my name because I cannot kept c- catch up with this. Why don't you take on the liquor license at the backyard? And that could be part of your income for, for what you're doing, and I can pay you this much. Okay. So I could do the bar license under Greg Henry and Associates. And the existing bar manager that was there, um, which I knew nothing about bars, you know, selling beer or anything. So I'm like, he's like, I'll partner with you. I was like, sweet. So he ran it. I put it under my name. He and I financed it. And we did that for four or five years straight. And it was awesome. Because, I mean, it was just positive income every time. And we had to give a percentage were of Were they talent. doing big shows? Big, yeah. I mean, we were doing this is a, Willie Nelson. After it RP moved. Fire, yeah. I would go, you know, I knew Charles uh, Atal and Amy really well. And would go to them and say, hey, come over here and bring some shows, man. Like, I'll give you a great rent on the venue. And, and them and Tim were kind of at it the, at the moment. And they're like, no, we don't want to do anything. And I was like, it's me. Trust me. And they came over and they did about three to six shows a year at the backyard. Dealt with me only. C3? C3. So that was a sweet deal because they would come well, over. Charlie
0: Jones got his start with Tim.
1: Oh, yeah. They're yeah, Charlie. Their, their, and their Charlie, blood goes Char- back. Charlie Walker, I think, we were with Pace. <laughs> Concerts And Tim was involved. With, I don't know that whole history, to be honest. But they all had something at some point. It in was the, a little
0: before your time. Yeah. And
1: then they, they had a falling out. So Charles and Amy did, were like, we're out. And I talked them into it. And they reluctantly did the first one. It went smooth. They got their money. Um, and after that, they did it about three to six shows a year over there. So that was just kind of free money because they took on all the expenses and the risk. We just opened the bar up. And I was on site to make sure – everything they needed was there and mm-hmm. everything ran smooth. So I did that for five, four or five years with the backyard.
0: Do, did they just stop doing shows over there or what, what yeah, happened?
1: Just money ran out. Um, I don't, I can't say that. I don't know. I don't think Tim went bankrupt, but maybe the company did or maybe none of that happened and it just, it just didn't work
0: out. Just went.
1: yeah, John, I know John Paul DeGioia on the land and, we were having issues with the road here and there, and in the city, and it just—I I don't know. My buddy Joe Griffin said he drove over there the other day. And it's just tall, you know, weeds and. Yeah, I drive by there all the time. Yeah, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm, it looks was like an awesome is, venue. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it wasn't the original, but it was. It was cool. I mean, we we worked our butts off to make it look sharp and yeah, put on some good shows. But yeah, we would do, three to five thousand people out there. When we did a show, wow! So I never knew that
0: it, that it had that much success over there after it moved. Yep. So that just went under, and you, you. So I saw you were it. doing something else though too.
1: I saw it starting to head that direction about probably twelve to fifteen months before it did, and that's when um, Jeff Griffin and I we had always talked about opening up a beer joint. And, uh, just being on the road with Pat and go to Adair's or whatever and be like, man, I want a little beer joint like this. So he and I just started talking and I was like, man, let's open up a beer joint. Like I I have the license, I have the history and I I understand the, the beer sale side of it, the liquor side and all of that. Plus
0: you get to take that license with you?
1: No, but I just learned from, you know, the inventory and the, and the bartenders and like just how to coordinate a bar. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I didn't get to take it with me. I had to, it had to stay on that premise. So, but we started talking about a bar and being who had had Willie's com for six years before this, um, was like, let's do Willie's joint. Okay. Then we met Greg Pratt and he was doing barbecue caterings downtown at the bars. And then we're like, let's all do a bar together. So in 2013 we created an LLC and launched that and developed the property that we rent in Buda. Um, Oh, y'all rent that place? And that's how we got into the bar. But yeah, unfortunately, I wish we owned it. But that's how we got in the bar business.
0: How long did uh, it take you to get your license?
1: Oh, it's only... Like, I heard that was a... It's about six months. It's not bad. So how is,
0: how's that going on? Like, how many shows do y'all do a year there at the joint?
1: Willie's, we're pretty much some sort of entertainment. It could be karaoke, it could be live music, but pretty much it's probably five days a week, six days a week.
0: And how many times do you have, like,
1: Shows like we... Axe. Yeah. So like like you guys, we probably try to do three or four a month. Not a lot. I mean, we really don't want to be a concert venue. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be a Nutty Brown. Um, Why not? Nervous about pigeonholing myself into a concert venue where people only come to your place when there's a concert. I want people to come to the place seven days a week, be your local beer joint, hang out. Um, Whereas I've seen a lot of venues where it's like they have great acts, but when those acts aren't there, people just don't even go there. Right. You know, there may be 20 people there a day or something, but I'd rather have a hundred people come through a day and have a beer and have a burger or whatever. So, and that's, that was the vision that Beaner and I had the very beginning It's like, man, we just want to be house music, good jukebox, just honky tonk roadside bar. And then we've, we have become more of a little bit more of a concert venue just because of COVID. Right. Um, so we would try to do like a Wednesday or a Sunday with artists uh, when they were playing Friday, Saturday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so they could pick up a little extra cash, and it would help us with beer sales, get a hundred percent on the door, and just be like, "Let's do it." So
0: how many how many dance a week are you at the bar? I mean, how long without having fun?
1: I I let the managers handle it. I mean, I I go I work on both bars from about ten in the morning. Till about four in the afternoon daily, whether that's from my house or my office at Willie's joint. What other bar Papa Jack's and Kyle. Oh yeah. So I go in there, have a weekly meeting with the managers. Um, and then I do my office work accounting, making sure so- social media is on tab. We got a social media managers kind of overseeing it all and don't have to really be there at, at night. Um, which is good. Cause I mean, I've kids and yeah, You can fall into that real quick.
0: Is Papa Jack's, is that part with Wade?
1: Yep. Wade Bowen. Yep. So it's Wade Bowen and I, and then Jeff Griffin's a partner, Greg Pratt's a partner.
0: And Papa Jack's also? Mm -hmm.
1: So we're both partners in both bars.
0: Is that Papa Jack's taking off a little bit?
1: So Willie's is doing well. Um, Papa Jack's, the first two years we opened it was horrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I always describe bars being like bands, like it's a crapshoot. Like you can put a yeah. band on the road and you don't know if it's going to take off or not. And you can open a bar and you don't know if it's going to take off or not. So um, pre-COVID, about two months right before COVID hit, it was actually doubling what we were, we were we were turning around. And then boom, we got hit and shut down. And since we've opened back up, um, it has just been on fire. It's been awesome. Isn't that crazy? It's, it is crazy. And it's it's
0: what's what what's
1: i say on fire we're not going to get rich off these damn things there's so many expenses and all right. of that but it's like it it'll create a little revenue stream mm-hmm. you know for partners but um it, it is crazy why it just all of a sudden boom just takes off i don't know why
0: well i know that after after covid fans are different yeah bars are different oh, yeah turnouts are different on courts are different like you know, I haven't had, I haven't had to do a fake encore since since we got back. <laughs> right. <laughs> Still got 10 minutes left on your contract, uh, you? <sighs>
1: Kick
0: him out the door.
1: <laughs> That's like that story. Has you Robert Gallagher ever told you a story about uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh was it Jerry Lee
0: or Waylon? Where he uh, I think I think, I think I was there with you when he was talking about uh having 15 minutes left yes killer yes kept going yeah. killer killer because <laughs> well killer ain't going to get 15 grand if you don't play 15 more minutes yeah
1: yeah well the one with waylon was kind of the same thing but waylon was on stage of course i wasn't there as hearsay, but waylon was on stage and robert said he was notorious for doing the same thing as killer like coming off stage um you know like 20 30 minutes early and uh So he had done it twice, and Robert was like, oh, he's not going to do it this time. So, you know, that back door backstage where you come off, he uh, he heard, he was, it was a 60-minute set, and he was like 40 minutes into it, and he's like, all right, good night, Billy Bob's. we love you, or something. And Robert goes up there and locks the backstage door, and Waylon, he said, Waylon goes, and he hits the door, and his cowboy hat goes up like this and falls (laughs) on the ground. So he, he can't get out, and he's trying, and he picks his cowboy hat up, walks back out there, puts it on, and he's like, well, these motherfuckers locked me on stage, so I guess I'll keep playing for y'all. <laughs>
0: I mean, that Gallagher can tell some stories, man. Well, that time starts moving slow some nights, too. Yeah, man. yeah. I've been on the other side of that where it's like, God damn, are we done yet?
1: <laughs> can you unlock this door? <laughs>
0: That's funny, but
1: yeah. No.
0: Best show, killer ever gave. Oh, oh, killer! Killer's got 15 minutes left to put on another great show.
1: 15 grand, goddamn killer! That's funny. We said that every night in Key West. Me and you. That's right. Goddamn killer! Goddamn
0: killer! Killer! <laughs> hey, killer! Uh, did you go to Key West this year?
1: I did. Yeah, worked it again. Fifth year. Fourth year.
0: Mile zero. Yeah. That's a great festival, man. Yeah,
1: I think it's their fourth year, but yeah, they've, they've Kyle Carter puts on a hell of a festival has a great team
0: do you just go up there and work or are you mm-hmm. are you partnering that no
1: just work just get hired to help produce it and i mean they've got it taken care of i just come up there and they give me a stage or sometimes three or four of them to kind of go and make sure that you know you guys are okay the artist is okay the production is okay and the, the venue manager is okay um and it's 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 relatively simple i mean there's there's a couple of times it's been Hectic, like when an outdoor stage and a storm rolls in or something, right. you know, gotta get it going. But no, they they're they he has a hell of a team and it's a, a, hell, of it's a hell of a ticketing provider. So do you. Yep, Billy's joint, yep. But but yeah, he it's all of those festivals are great, man. I mean, Steamboat, uh, Mile Zero Festival, uh, Casey's Boots on the Beach, and uh, Dos Barrachos at Kevin and those guys. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a million others, but you know, everybody's like, well you go to all these, which one's your favorite? I'm like, man, just pick one. They're all great. It's yeah. all great talent. It's all a good time.
0: And yeah, people always ask me like, what's, what's your favorite yeah. venue? I'm like the full ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one's yeah. where people show the ones up with energy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it takes, it takes people who know what they're doing and know, well, guys like you, you know, that, that have made all the mistakes for, and
1: mm-hmm. still make them. Yeah. Yeah. i tell you what, the first year I went, I met Kyle Carter through uh, Medicine Stone. Now I, I was hired to produce that with Corey McDaniel and Turnpike and Bolin, who own it. And um, I met Kyle, and he was like, man, we want to get you and Robert Gallagher up there and help us make sure everything's good. Y'all know all these guys. And they didn't have a real tight relationship with a lot of the Texas guys, because mm-hmm. they were from Oklahoma. I was like, man, I'd love to be involved. And, man, that first year, I rolled in, and I was like, all right, it's going to be the first year festival thing where there's going to be some hiccups. I don't know that I can name hardly one or two it's like it, it's it was just so smooth i mean it like it was like they're on their second or third year of this yeah and every artist that played it was like this because they were all a little nervous too on the first year
0: i remember yeah so i remember walking in there going this is badass mm-hmm. without all the heavy clothes yeah <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> thank god <laughs> having to
0: park your bus in the snow oh yeah yeah i mean it's a great festival. I thought you were talking about the bikinis on the girls. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't looking.
1: <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> I didn't either. I do not even I didn't know they exist.
0: So, man, 30 years into this, right? Pretty much. Almost. Yep. Do you do, you do anything outside of music?
1: I ventured out. I uh, have the two bars, two kids, which is another job. Um, and then I do the about – I'm shooting for eight to ten shows a year. Um, and then started investing in real estate and taking the, the John Dixon School of, of, of Real Estate um, and Kevin Fowler. Those are two influences on me on, on, on real estate. I, 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 fought, I definitely follow him. I mean, I had some things and in, invested in stock market or whatever and Dixon was like, you do that, I'm gonna do this with land and let's compare notes in 10 years. And he told me that, and I was like, okay. And I literally stopped that day, invested in Willie's, you know, put money into Papa Jack's, whatever, but put in real estate and hope for the best. Right.
0: Um, like my- out there in Wimberley and all those places where they,
1: I haven't done anything there. I'm pretty much Buda. so so you're several properties in Buta, one in Kyle, um, and just trying to build it up. Where the ultimate goal would be to to have the two bars running with great management have eight shows a year. My daughter graduates in two years. Lisa and I grab a amazing RV and go see coast to coast things that I would love to see. I haven't seen in my life like you guys have, mm-hmm. and I was jealous of, of being or getting to see everything I see with Pat, but I had to stay in the office. Right. Um, but go see those things and have a show, leave the RV where it's at, fly back in, do the show, go back out there and travel around.
0: You up for this? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> well hey man, thanks for coming. Yep. Thank you, Thank you very love much. Love talking to you, man. Appreciate it. I really I, I love it that we've been friends this long. Long time. And that I was like like, we started out talking. I mean, I've always been amazed at not amazed, um proud and and grateful to have you as a friend and also to watch you the way you do things, the way you're not afraid just to ask questions and stick your head out and go, how's this go? How's this work? <laughs> And then go make it work yeah i mean i don't i don't think i've ever been around you or heard of anything that you had your hands on that has gone belly up because you you just you have a work ethic that's admirable thank you man it means
1: a lot to me being someone who i you know look up to and honored to be here well you've been a good
0: friend of mine for since you were since you were 17 i was 22 or whatever however 1990. Three. Yep. 93. <laughs> it was 93 because I graduated 94 and
1: I started listening to this music about 92, 93. So, yeah. And I just, Michael Staden was dating Delane and I happened to go to that private party and, you know, it was over <laughs> from there, man. Beener and I probably went to six or eight of your shows. I mean, back to back. I mean, where Beener was falling on the picture, stage man. and I think he you chipped your tooth as well with the microphone. <laughs> I got to find that picture. <laughs>
0: Oh, mine? Yeah, man. <laughs> it happened, it's happened like literally five or six times Mike. like somebody, happened at eight airs, happened at those private parties, some drunk, bam, yep. and it have, doesn't take much. One time I did it, I did it to myself because I was getting all ramped up on something <laughs> and the my, the mic stand was, needed needed some sugar packets under it. <laughs> <laughs> I stepped under it, boom, <laughs> like a rake. We
1: were at Adair's and Beener was spinning this girl around on the very front. You know, it's just the ground. So he's just on the ground yeah. and there's monitors and Beaner goes and spins this chick around and his back's to Jack and Jack's singing and Beaner trips over the monitor and falls on stage <laughs> and the microphone <laughs> goes everywhere. And we didn't even really know him at the time. We were just fans. Like we didn't, we weren't in the music business or friends. We were just fans you knew us, but oh man, it was so funny.
0: That is great. Yeah.
1: And Lois, the picture you took with her the other day—holy moly! She, looks, she looks, looks exactly the same. I know, man. She aged a year. No, isn't that crazy? I I honestly didn't know if she was that she was still alive. Because I mean, that was a long time ago.
0: She she looks great. She looks fantastic. Yeah,
1: no. Yeah. We just got the PPP. Oh wow! That was that day. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. 1993, dude. <laughs>
1: That was at the backyard of Delane Crow's house. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> fucking baby. <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy?